0: Thank you. Annette, and you are welcome to the second episode of Coffee and Stars. On this platform, we have candid and unconventional narratives about the place of the young African woman in society. In this second episode, I speak to the fierce Zubaida Ismail, a freelance journalist from Ghana. Zubi runs the Zami Report, which brings a unique perspective to the reporting on gender issues. She hopes that the African narrative on African women will be richer and more positive. In this episode, I hope that we'll be able to have several conversations that will help us to make candid choices in our reporting and how we consume news. Welcome, Zubi. How are you today? I'm fine, Annette, and you, and um, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Zubi. And welcome to Coffee and Stars. Thank you. Can you introduce yourself to our audience? Um, so
1: um, my name is um, Zubaida Ifwa Mabono Ismael. And uh, I, I love it when I'm called Zami, because that's um, the abbreviation for my name. And then uh, I am a, a freelance journalist, just like you rightly mentioned. My focus in journalism um, has been gender reporter and then in the last year I have, um, successfully transitioned into a climate activist as well. And so I do climate with focus on women, the impact of climate on women and children, and so that is what I do. Um, I, I used to do, do, I mean, be a podcaster for Radio France. Um, it's an Africa calling program. And then currently, um, a contributor to so many international platforms as a journalist and of course as a freelancer. And so basically, this is Zuhaira Ismail.
0: That's very nice and a lot of things you do here. Congratulations, my dear, for all your hard work and the impact you are trying to make in the issues of women. So now tell me, what do you like about the work that you do? What do you like the most about the work you do?
1: Ah, do I have a particular thing I like about the work I do? I think I love everything about it. You see, you use the word like, but I will say I love. I love everything about my work. I've always told people that choosing journalism wasn't um, an afterthought. I've always loved to be, I mean, I've always dreamt of being a journalist, even as I was a child. And so I've grown up loving the career or the profession called um, journalism. And, um... It was, it was, it was, um, a rare opportunity when I, when I got to, um, work with, um, Ghana's one of Ghana's, um, biggest media platform. That's the media general and TV three, and it's, um, associate, um, platforms, three FM on your TV connect FM, and all that. So I was working, um, with them and I worked with them for like six years. And what do I love? Um, so I would say that that's, that. um, opportunity, the rare opportunity of meeting almost everybody. Because as a journalist, I have had the opportunity to be in the company of the president's past presidents, current presidents. I've had the opportunity to be in the company of first ladies. I've had the opportunity to be in the companies of ambassadors, high commissioners. I've had the opportunity to be in the company of ministers. I've equally had the opportunity to be in the lives of the underprivileged and perhaps when you are there and then you look at a sharp contrast from the rich to the poor. And it's, it's fascinating. But then I think that is what I love about my job, that the opportunity to connect with everybody at every level is, is, is what I love about my job.
0: It's interesting that you say um, that the opportunity to be in the presence of, to also engage with the underprivileged is a unique one and for you to learn and understand the life that they live because i also have a similar life like you and i see a lot in communities in the fields what kind of contrast there is so tell me what is the zami report and why did you decide to do the zami report? yes so um i
1: am an african changer change maker um, let me also add that I am a Mandela Washington Fellow, and that is under the US um, government, where African leaders are taken to, I mean, a kind of exchange program where African young African leaders are selected, taken to the US. You stay there for at least six weeks to learn about culture and diversity, and then you come back and you're expected to. Do something, let let the people, your sponsors know that indeed, when you went there, you learned something. And one of the things that I learned when I I went to the US was um, volunteerism and community work. And the fact that um, I also noticed that the US media has given us, or have collectively, given us something great about the American people. I keep saying that I never knew that we had Street people in the US. I never knew until I went there in 2018. I never knew we had um, 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 beggars on the streets of the US, including a few meters away from the Bank of America in New York City, Times Square. I didn't know we had beggars in Times Square. At least I, I was expecting to see them in far communities, but we had them, and you don't see that on TV. You don't see that on CNN, you don't see that on Fox news. You don't, you don't see that. And so what I took coming from the U.S. was that, okay, I think the journalists in America have done so well by creating an impression that America is the world's giant when it comes to everything by, by, I mean, covering up these challenges that they also have, I mean, we have poverty in, 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 in Africa. We have some in the U S as well. We have people in the U S that sleep on the streets as well. And we have same in, in Africa. But when you switch on your TV and you have an African journalist reporting on Al Jazeera, reporting on CNN, BBC, Fox and all that, you always see poverty. If it's not, we talking about conflict ripping through our communities. We're talking about earthquakes. We're talking about hunger. We're talking about all the bad things. And so that is the lesson I took, changing the narrative of Africa. And so when I came, I was like, okay, what can I do? I'm I'm a gender person. I wouldn't want to just be all over the place doing all the stories. And so I said, okay, what has been the narrative about the African women? We're very poor. We're vulnerable. We don't have say. We don't don't add our voices to decision-making. Our African women can't be chiefs. They are only, the, their best betters, queen mothers, not queens, queen mothers. That's when they are the mothers of a, a prince, right? Of a king or a king. And then they are queen mothers. They are not queen themselves where they are ruling a community. But we have queens in our, in, in Africa. In Ghana, we have women that are rulers. In fact, we have a clear example, Yasantwa, right? She was a warrior. She led the Ashantis to conquer uh, 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 the British, and then they 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 got that town, the Kumase Kingdom, and all that. And and we've not even said a lot about Yasantwa. It's just the history books. There's something, someone page something about her, and that's it. And the rest is about men. So I said, no, let me get a dedicated website because I'm a journalist, and I left my former employer, and and I couldn't have just come back, sit in my room, and fold my arms and just watch. So I came about with Zami reports. Now Zami report, it's my name. I was looking at what, how people can identify my website. We had so many names because I was speaking with a colleague. We had so many names, but he told me that, you know what? People know you as Zami. And so when you do Zami reports and somebody hears Zami, they're able to put a face to the, the website. And this is the reason we even settled on that name. Then we said, what is my mission? What is the vision? What do I expect to do? I apparently. Or I basically just said that I want to change the African narrative, the narrative on African women, move from how poor they are, move from how vulnerable they are, move from how they are only, um, baby makers, child makers at home, how we don't seek their support or their thoughts on critical decisions, both in politics at the traditional level, and even in our homes. And so I said, okay, let me do this website dedicated entirely for women and children. And I must say that Zami report is the only first and only website in Ghana that focuses strictly on women, children, and climate, all the other news outlets, they do everything everything but this is the only dedicated platform that you when you go you find stories only on women. If you're gonna find political stories that it's going to be about a woman a female MP. If you're going to find medical story that it's going to be about a female doctor. If you're going to find engineering stories on the Report, it's going to be about young girls or young women who are into engineering. Electrical engineering, mechanical engineer engineers and all that. That is what I do with XAMI Report. And even I have reporters, I have female it's so interesting to know that I have about ten reporters. Just three of them are women. The seven are men. And these are men I have trained to become gender activists. And they are men, yes, but they are feminists. And every their language is about feminism, empowering the female group. And that is why I came up with the um, Zami Report.
0: That's very interesting and it sounds so good. Good job on that. So how has the uptake been? How have people responded to it? It's one year going on two. How have people responded? Are they like, ah, oh, Zubi, you weird! all these women are shouting. What do you want? You're giving you everything. You're so shouting. What do you want? How have people responded to the ZAMI reports?
1: I I think that we... I will path my own shoulder and that of my uh, reporters and the team, including my website designer and website manager um, Kwame for a successful one year because we were less than one year when UNICEF invited me to come and lead a discussion on adolescent reporting mm-hmm. and I had to go and stand before people that have been reporting way before I, I, I even dreamt of becoming a journalist to teach them how to be sensitive to women and children and at the adolescent when they are reporting that 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 is because people i didn't even know that somebody like professor audrey Gajepo was admiring me from a distance because I hear she was already recommending me for the UNICEF program. I never knew she was actually following me, and that is one big thing I have taken that, oh, so apparently people like her were watching and they are still watching. And so for me to get such a recommendation coming from her, and I believe that when I went to UNICEF I, I did well. I want to believe that I, I I I I stood up to the occasion by being able to teach my colleagues, share with my colleagues the practical experience in reporting on adolescent and how sensitive you have to be. I think we did well with that uh, uh, opportunity. Ever since we did that, I think before even that, I had secured um, a consultancy job with Journalists for Human Rights, which is based in Canada. And uh, what do I do? I basically teach journalists in Ghana. They are about 26 journalists that we're training. Recently we told that uh, they, we're going to go to the second phase of that program and we're going to have about six more journalists added and this time around, they actually asking me to just get only females, six females to add to the existing number and then train them. We trained them for a period of about eight months. It wasn't just training, it was a full package training mentorship. And so the mentorship had to do with helping them identify story ideas, helping them put that idea together into a pitch, helping them identify resource people, letting them get the news behind that idea and chasing it. And it should be purely on women and children. Their human rights, access to basic amenities like water, quality education, quality healthcare, um, 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 and then especially under COVID, the impact of COVID on them and how they are surviving. And we did that in the period of um, eight months. I must tell you that just, um, on Thursday, just last Thursday, I woke up to a WhatsApp from one of the mentees. And this is actually a colleague that I I used to be in the same office with. Then I left, I resigned. And so when I got the opportunity to bring on people, I selected some of these people. And for a colleague that I was working, we were all at the same level in the office, and suddenly I become his her trainer. Then I wake up one morning and this colleague has just had sent me a message. And it's red. And we won an award. So I go like, whoa. So I watched, I was like, then she she goes further to say, one of the stories I did on COVID has been awarded an award by the MEC Foundation. Mec Foundation is an international foundation by the uh, first ladies of African countries. And she won an award. Apparently she wasn't the only one. There were three of the mentees. People that I have trained in eight months, three of them won awards in, in uh, the Mac Foundation in November. Two of them had been recognized by um, the American Embassy under a program that was organized by Yali TV, the Young African um, Leadership Initiative, had recognized two of these same mentees and had awarded them on stories they did on disabilities. And so between November and January, first week of January, we've had five of my mentees winning awards. And that's for me, when I saw the message, I called, I made it, I placed a conference when I was like, look, I have never won an award before myself, but to think that people that I have trained, these are people that have been practicing years but just within the space that I have been with them that 8 months and right after the first phase of the program we have five of them winning awards as it is, as it is, I mean I I shouldn't tell people that we are making impact it is a great impact and then I am it, it, it humbles me as well because, I mean, to get people that you were in the office, what you were on the same, at the same level, and suddenly you're supposed to lead them, you're supposed to teach them, you're supposed to tell them, do this, don't do that. You know that typical African society, it's difficult. But we managed the situation and they listened. They learned, they were ready to embrace what I was bringing on board and they were able to make these, I mean, achieve these feats. And so that is one thing that I love about everything that we've done, and then the, your question that what are the responses, what are the feedback? This is the feedback from people, from the UNESCO, uh, UNICEF thing to the uh, journalist for Human Rights thing. And now they want to take, do a second phase of that project. They have the choice to choose a different trainer. If I wasn't doing well, but I'm still the same person who's going to do the second phase. And that tells you that we're getting positive feedback both internationally and within the country. And I think we should be proud of that. And that is because we decided to dedicate our time to women and children. And of course, we're not saying that we don't care about men. I keep telling them when I'm training, I keep telling them that a person living with disability, a male person living with disability is vulnerable. And so if you go and you're going to do a story don't go and ignore them because we say we are focusing on women and children. No, that person equally needs help, though he is a man, but he falls within what we're doing because we're looking at the vulnerable in society. The reason why we have identified women and, 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 and we are deliberately making efforts towards women and children is that we have, for ages, decades, been left at the backyard, And so if we don't take deliberate Effort. We don't make deliberate attempts. Sometimes I even tell them, be biased a bit, be biased a bit, because when you go out there, let's say, for instance, I was given the opportunity to do a story on politics when I was with um, Radio France, politics in Ghana. I deliberately went to pick a female politician and guess what? All the people I interviewed for that particular story were all women. When I needed a political analyst, I didn't go look for a male. I went looking for a female political analyst to talk on that. When I needed a politician, I went for a female politician. You know why? Because look, for especially for a female who is a a Muslim and a Nordner to be able to become a member of Parliament, it is no small feat. Being someone who has lived in the Northern region for about 15 years, I know what I am talking about. Traditionally, you don't go close. Religiously, you don't go close to politics. So for a female to do this, that I get the opportunity to profile a politician and you think I should go for a man? No. Then I, w- I won't be amplifying their voices. And so I tell them, that, look, be deliberate. And I tell them, look, when you even go out, let's say that there is a flood okay? And you go out and you are reporting on the flood. It's it's a general situation. It has affected everybody. But please pay attention to the women and children there. Let's look at how easy it is for a male victim to recover and how easy it is for a female victim to recover from these accidents. And let's get that data. And that is where when we do this, then we are able to seek for help, we, 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 we create awareness of their challenges and then we bring them on board. Now, one other thing that Zami report does is that beyond the problems, what we do is that we deliberately tell positive stories about women. We can't say that we don't have problems. No, every society has a problem. And so we can't close our eyes and ears to these problems. And so, yes, when a woman is at fault, we write it. But we put more focus on the right things. You, I mean, previously, you wouldn't see in our news a woman who is an engineer and lying under beneath a, a vehicle and, and, and fixing the boats and not checking on the engines and, and all that, changing oil. You wouldn't see that. Inasmuch as we had a few of them, you still wouldn't hear their stories. They are the people I go after. I deliberately go on WhatsApp platforms, Facebooks, and I ask, who, which woman in your community do you see doing something great? And it's not just about the educated ones. I tell people that look, I I, I profile the female politician because Radio France has asked for a political story. But what I do with some reporters is that I say that I don't give my platform to politicians because they already have the platform. In Ghana, they make the news. They, they make especially the men. They make the news. They are always the headline. They are those carrying the news. So they already have the platform. They don't have to struggle for the platform. Mm -hmm. So guess what? What we do is that in my area, for instance, I live at Spencer's. If I go out there and I see a female who is working in a corn mill, who owns a corn mill, operates a corn mill, that is a story for me. Because you used not to see this. It is used not to be the story. And so I keep saying that let's give our platform to the less privileged. Let them also feel that, oh, so somebody cares about me. Somebody thinks that I'm doing something positive. And so they want to do more. And they want to also equally encourage their children to, what? to do more. And if we do this together, then at the end of the day, we're going to have a better society with more women being empowered. And you know, guess what? You go to Rwanda, see their level of development, because they have 60% women in governance. They are those making the decisions. And the evidence is the kind of development we are seeing in Rwanda. Look at Senegal, they equally have a good number of female in governance. Look at what goes on. Go to Dakar and you will love the place. It is not so it is not so sophisticated like Rwanda is now, but you will still love Dakar because you have women making what a chunk of its decisions, and that is what is happening. We don't have that in Ghana. I see the mess we are in. Everywhere is from our education system to everywhere. And so we think that when we give these women especially. The, the girls, you groom them into women. If you only tackle the women who come, when those women are off, who come and fill mm-hmm. the gap. So we groom them, we give even the girls the, the voices to tell their stories so it will inspire other girls. So they seek education, they seek professionalism, they seek empowerment. And then when they grow, they come what filling the vacuum that has been left by the elderly mm-hmm. women.
0: Okay, Zubi. There is so much here I want to ask you already. There is so much, so much I want to ask you. But I think let me take it from here. We we realize that we don't have the numbers. The women, women make more than fifty percent of our population, but we don't have them enough in the spaces. And usually, when we have them in those spaces, sometimes they are not represented well. Just like popular culture, like music, sometimes it it kills me that people have opportunity to play music, you are popular. And all you see is that women are in almost naked dance. popular culture, just like the media, shapes our society and how we construct our thoughts about the place of the African woman or the place of the female. So changing the narratives, how do you see, what kind of reporting do you, would you usually want to see examples that if we were in the ideal world and we all had to see the, the, the kind of story we want to see about a woman, if everything was right, what kind of stories would we be hearing about women? Just
1: last week, I, I got a, a story published by um, the B.E.D. Newsroom. Now the B.E.D. Newsroom is a new project funded by the uh, Bill and uh, Melinda Gates Foundation. It's, it's, it's stationed in uh, Kenya, led by Tom Kick. And it is under the big, a big umbrella called Africa No Further. So once you hear Africa No Further, then you know what we, we are into. And guess what? I got an opportunity to be writing for them as a contributor. An African No filter, the bed, its bed newsroom works just like Reuters. It's a news agency, and it gives out stories. With them, you don't even if you're a publisher, you don't you don't buy the news. You don't pay. They pay the journalists to go out there because guess what? People want to change the narrative. And so, just last week, I did a story about a young girl who is. I mean, young girls. they are about um, six of them. They work with um, an electrical. Vehicle company, there are men there. I could have gone to do. I could have gone to do a story on the men, right? Because I was basically doing story on climate, how we're combating climate and how the Ghanaian automobile is also trying to introduce electrical vehicle into our system to combat climate change. But when I went, I decided to speak to women. I spoke to the women engineers. I spoke to the they had two oppression officers, a female and a male. I spoke to the female. So these are the stories we want to do. So when you go into the offices, go ask for the women. Ask after the women. And see, it is difficult. Sometimes, like you say, you give them the platform. They, 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 they don't talk. You can't blame them. Sorry, I tell my people that our traditions have cowed women. Those of us that are outspoken, you know the tag. You are disrespectful a whole lot. You understand? Sometimes society will even let your own parents hate you because they think that, no, a child shouldn't challenge. You. But it is me. The decision you are taking on my behalf, it is me that will, it will affect. I will be the one to bear the brand if it goes wrong. So why can't I have a say on something that concerns me, my life? That when we are going to school, nobody takes. Ask us what we want to do. Our parents will not seek out our own perspective on topics that concerns us. In our school selections, you'll be there and your parents will select a school for you. Like you have no say. They'll go as far as selecting a course for you to go and study. For Christ's sake, it's me who is going to study that course, not you. And so as young as I am, you should give me the opportunity. At least listen to me, right? And help guide me to make positive decision and not to impose something on me and so once you become a bit outspoken they see you as rebellious they see you as disrespectful even when it comes to getting a partner for marriage it is a big deal i can tell you that most empowered women in ghana are not married those that dread marriage end up divorced the the maximum months they stay or years they stay in those marriages Five years for sometimes just one year, and they are gone, they are sent back in because the man's family will let your husband feel so awful for marrying a woman who speaks up, and so naturally that's how the system has cowed with the woman, and because of that, when you even need them to interview them, it is difficult. Sometimes, but when I, I used to be a field reporter, you go into the community. The woman is the one who is affected, but she won't talk. You, you you are there and you hear that a woman has been chased out of her house because she's an alleged witch. In fact, they have labeled her as a witch. It is us that use the word alleged. But for the, her folks and, and her kinsmen, she's a witch. And she's been chased out of. Sometimes they bend their hat. just so they want, wo- just so the the woman will leave. Because if they don't bend your hat, you go back and sleep. So when they bend, they raise the entire burden down. Where are you going to sleep? You have no option than to just leave. And because when you, you hear speak up, be, be, yes, sometimes <laughs> simply because you've spoken up, especially our village women. That's simply that a, a man feels threatened by a woman who is empowered. In a typical northern setting, a woman who is empowered, she's a farmer, she's a businesswoman, a petty trader. Sometimes, I mean, our village women, they can't be big business women, just petty trading. And even that is a threat to a man sitting somewhere. And so because of that, they either will go and borrow the, man, the woman's money and when it is time to pay back, they will not do that. And when the woman coughs, then she's labeled a witch and the entire community will Support this man and they will chase the woman out of her community, out of her home, out of her matrimonial home. And her sometimes her children are watching because you guess what? The children grew up knowing that a woman should not challenge my mother. Can't challenge my uncle, my mother can't challenge my father. You understand? And so you get to them. Sometimes you spend over an hour just trying to psych them. They are set to talk to you, narrate their stories, and just when you finally go back to have the interview guess what they are nowhere to be found they won't talk to you even if they are there they won't talk to you and so it's it does this, this culture has creeped in into even the elite system and so you can have a female politician okay you think that let me give her the voice and you're looking for her to have an interview. interviewer then she's nowhere to be found and so it's it's it's, it's tiring yeah you know, but if you you're a typical African woman like I am if you've lived among these cultures moving from the western region to the greater Accra region to the northern region and you have experienced the typical traditional sentence of these ethnicities trust me when you call a female to have an interview with them she she drags you for a whole month or two you will be patient you wait for her because you know what she's battling with. You know that she has to be very sure that this single interview she's going to grant will not end her marriage. It will not see her being sacked from her office. It will not see her children being separated from her. A whole lot. Look, she has to battle with all these fears before she will come to accept that. But guess what? I have to do this for myself. And so it is a challenge. And that is why we are taking the time to what? Keep going to them. Keep pushing. It is through us that they will leave those fears. If we don't push, they will be stuck there forever. And so that, that, that's what I, I, I say that, yes, there are challenges. Even getting access to these women, there are challenges. But guess what? When you push, they'll be available. To speak. When they, they when they find comfort around you. It's also important. Trust issues as a journalist. Let her feel comfortable. Don't let her feel you're doing her favor. In fact, she doesn't need it. So let her feel comfortable. Let her feel safe. Let her feel that she can trust you. So that if she tells you things, be able to know that this particular one, yes, she said it. But it is so sensitive that if you put it out, it could break her marriage. It could break her entire family. She could be taken off the payroll of her employer. And so you should be sensitive to those things. Inasmuch as whatever she says could be a headline and could give you all the clicks as a journalist or as a blogger, be sensitive to them. Let them trust you. So that next time, in fact, there will be those to look for you when they have issues to discuss and they will go after you, they will even give you more people to talk to and so if I have the opportunity this is the kind of journalism I want people to do, you don't give up on your uh, target, especially when they are female and they are adolescents you don't give up on them let them trust you build that trust build that comfort let them feel comfortable when they are around you don't go and impose your elite lifestyle on them it's their life to allow them but just help them navigate through let them know the hazards in the lifestyle they are living let them appreciate the positives in the on the other side and so they will gradually come you don't expect someone who has lived 20 years of her life practicing fgm 20 years of her life practicing child marriage 20 years of her life knowing that my, kid, my senior sister was married off at age 13. So who am I to say, you no know, when I'm going to be married off at age 15? It's their tradition. And you don't expect her to just assert your campaign just at, I mean, at a go. It will take time. And so when you push one, two, and you give up on them, then there will be no light at the end of the tunnel for them. And so we have to keep pushing. But we can only do that when we build trust. We let them feel comfortable when we when we give them our word that we are going to keep this between the two of us. That's about confidentiality and protecting them as well. Know when to use their images and when not to use their images. It is very important in all these instances. And when you do that, we will be able to change the narrative when it comes to the African woman and, of course, the African child.
0: Okay. Zubi... I have two more questions for you (laughs) because you say so much and I want to address different things because there's so much. And sometimes people, people, you know that when you are not in a space where people understand these issues, when you talk to them, they think that you are crazy. They think that you are crazy. No, like
1: they, they see you as an alien. Yeah. Especially (laughs) when they think that you are one of them. So I, I, you know I have a Muslim name, right? Zubaida. Yes. But a typical Ghanaian will take Zubaida for a northern name, mm. and so they've taken me to be a northern. And so when they see me challenge the men, they're like, "Ah, as they don't know the traditions, it's
0: mm-hmm. value
1: at all." And so yes, yeah, so I accepted.
0: Yeah, they yeah, think you I are think crazy. crazy. Okay, so it's 2022. Yeah. 2022. Mm-hmm. We've been dealing with this since Beijing Conference, all of that, first wave, affirmative action. When do you think? When do you think? Because you know what? No country in the world has even achieved gender equality. Not even in the US. No, 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 not in the US, not in Norway. No country has achieved gender equality. What hope do we have as Africans? As an African woman, what hope do I have? Guess what?
1: Um a country has achieved gender parity, especially in governance. And I, I mentioned Rwanda. Rwanda has moved from 50% of women to fifty percent of men in parliament to sixty percent of women mm-hmm. and forty percent of men in parliament. In
0: their totality. <laughs> yes, there will be several
1: of course, so I'm talking about governance mm-hmm. entirely governed. governance. U.S. hasn't achieved this feat, so that is why I say we should change the African narrative. U.S. doesn't have this number; they don't have that percentage. You understand? But even if Rwanda's parliament, they are even just ten parliamentarians, and we say that sixty percent of that ten, I mean, is women, Mm. and forty percent of that ten is men. We've done something, and so we should be proud of such story. Senegal has aged close. I think the last time I checked, there were about 40% women in governance and 60% in men. They also also in fact, East Africa is doing well when it comes to this than West North Africa, Africa. And, and I think North Africa too is trying. They are also doing very well when it comes to especially in governance. Why am I so interested in governance? See, all the decisions are made there. The affirmative action bill just, we just mentioned, the Beijing conference. Who will implement them? It's at the Beijing conference that we had the affirmative affirmative actions right bills. Who who pass who pass them? It's not Parliament, and so that is where it starts from. And that is why I'll keep rem, uh, mentioning Rwanda. Rwanda has been able to do this because they decided to bring in women. And then because the women are there at the decision, the top decision making level in the country, they are able to tell the government that these are our challenges. If you leave a man and a woman to go and compete for a political position, you know how expensive politics has become in this country. And so our women, I think, um, was it a World Bank? Or the ILO, International Labor Organization, one of them said that we have about about 50% of the women total number are poor. 50% of us women, we are poor. And globally, women, we are more than men. Mm -hmm. And so 50% of the number, the greater number of the world are poor. That's why we're seeing what we're seeing. You understand? We've got a a, a greater number of the greater sex, that's the woman. We are poor. And once we are poor, what means that we can't compete. And if we can't compete, it means that we can't go to politics. We can't go sit at parliament and pass these bills, affirmative actions and all that. And so, if we don't take the step to do that, then in the next 20 years, we'll be here. Mm -hmm. You understand? Trust me that in Ghana's parliament, the affirmative action, it be- you know it became a campaign message, right? Mm. Between the NEC and the NPP. Before the NEC left government, it had gone to, it was before the president. He had mentioned that, oh, he's saying it and blah, blah. he was going to cabinet and all that. Then they lost. NPP came. Last time we checked, the bill had gone to, parliament, sent back to cabinet, sent to the attorney general's office, and it's, we are still waiting for it to return. They, that year, that, the bill was able to move from the attorney general's office to uh, cabinet for them to look at it and send back there for, because it was a draft, so they need to approve certain things, take some things off you know, and send back to the attorney general for a final draft to come to parliament. They had the floor for voting and all that. We had... A female attorney general. Mm. Now we have a male attorney general. Have you heard anything about it? Again? Mm. You have not. And so if uh, women are not occupying those spaces, that man, affirmative action doesn't, it doesn't bother him. Perhaps he doesn't even want it to pass. Why would we let women come and challenge us in parliament? See the few words that are there, see the tough time they are giving them. We should come, we should allow you to add more. No, we won't. The earthless are giving them fire. <laughs> you understand? The hawa are, they're on fire. They might not be doing everything right. Yes, because they're humans. And just like the men, the, the male parliamentarians, are they doing everything right? So you know what? For us, the gender actors, you know what we're saying in this country? We say that, you know, there is this attitude in this country that when you're campaigning for a female candidate, they tell you that, oh, the few of you who got the opportunities messed up. And they will quickly bring the former NCC the National uh, uh, Commission for Civic Education former boss who was a female and used to live in a hotel mm. instead of living in her official residence and blah 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 and the wasted. that's what it's the first example they will pull and let you feel miserable for campaigning for a female candidate. But guess what? In 2020, we moved our numbers from 30 to 40 women. And you know what? It is 15 for NDC, 15 for NPP. That's what we did. So what what we did was that we were able to increase each by five more women. We didn't care about which political party. We were out for the women. And so we went for the women. We campaigned for women. We told them, go for the women. And you know the excuse, when they come with, oh, when we give you the opportunity, you mess up. And you know what we also tell them? Men have been in our parliament for years. What good thing has come out of, of that mm-hmm. parliament? Nothing. We are still the same. And so let the women also go and mess up. If it is plain ludu, sending look at what has happened in parliament in, in recent Is it not the men that are fighting, those that are throwing the chairs, jumping on the speaker's table, seizing the uh, 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 speaker's um, staff and all that? It's not the men that are doing that. They are the men. Somebody pulling the speaker from his seat. It is the men. Do you see the women jumping in? Apart from the first day of swearing in, that we saw what happened between Asla and she, she got up and someone came and sat on her seat, and then she went and sat on, apart from that case, what, what else? And then you come back and when it is time to campaign and we say, vote for women, you come and tell us that, oh, when we give you the opportunity, when we give you the opportunity, you mess up. You've been messing up since 1992. What has changed? But we still keep voting for you. You mess up, you still come and ask for, to be voted for. And Ghanaians keep Voting for you. So, yes, let the women also come and mess up. That's all we want. Because that is that is the, the weapon they are using against the women. When you campaign, this all they go tell the people, oh, don't oh oh women, oh. And they and there's this 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 phrase: women are their own mm-hmm. enemies. Anytime I hear a woman say this, I, I cringe and I shout. So I'm like, don't ever say this. No woman is. Her fellow woman's enemy. We can't be each other's enemies. Our collective enemy is ignorance. Because we've allowed the men to tell us that we are our own enemies. And that is ignorance. And so our collective enemy as women is ign- the word ignorant. And not us. Because if you know other beautiful stories of women. That's why we're saying we have to change the Narratives. Nice. If you hear other beautiful stories of female, we have our former EC chair Charlotte Osei. She did marvelously well, right? But when you are talking about electing women, they will not mention Charlotte Osei. They will mention the NCCE boss because she was the one who messed up, and they will create the the impression and make you feel that it's terrible to vote for your 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 colleague female, your peer female okay. person. And that is what we're saying, that no, it can't be women are not each other's enemy. We can't be each other's enemy. However, our common enemy as women is ignorant.
0: Okay, Zubi, I want to ask you my last question. I need to ask you, and this one, make it short for me. Woo. Eighth March is coming. Eighth March International Women's Day is coming. And this year's theme okay. is around climate change. Oh. It's saying... Um, gender equality for sustainable future something something and then the focus is on climate change you are an activist for climate change how do you think that climate change affects women and children women yes women and children mostly and this is where we are going to end so just give me a short answer and then
1: I think it's important that this year's International Women's Day is being celebrated on climate change and the focus is on gender. And I think even the UN itself identified gender inclusion as part of the measures to mitigate climate change. If the UN itself has done this, it tells you how important it is to involve the women. Why do you think we should involve women in the fight against, perhaps if we had done this years, but we would have solve this whole climate and this heat wave and all that, guess what? I tell people that when there is drought in the Northern region, I, that's where I lived most of my journalism life. So in the practice, so that's always where I'll use as an example. When there's drought in the communities, there's not a man who goes look for the water. No, he doesn't. And sometimes it's not even the mother, it is the children. You, you are lucky if your mother also picks a bowl and tells you to pick a bucket and a, a basin and tells you to pick a bucket and then you go get water. And when they go to get the water, the man, again, know that it is our women in the northern region that are the heart of the the family. They are those that are into the petty trading. They are those that are jumping from vehicles, tractors, selling, going from villages to villages. And so they are there. Bit of their family, Even
0: the petty farming, those things. They are those
1: people. that are doing them. And so, if the woman, there is drought, and she wakes up, and she walks about six, about, I mean, 30, 40, 50 kilometers to go and get water. She gets to the water site. She has to be in a queue. So that they spend at least one hour before it gets to their tent to fetch water. She gets to the house exhausted. What do you think she can go and do in the market? By the time she gets back, the sun is up. What can she go and do in the farm? And so at the end of the day, there will be no food in the house for the children to eat. The children that also go together with their mothers or those that are just sent out to go and get the water themselves will miss
0: the on school.
1: credits hours in school. And so you think that climate doesn't affect women, and you think that it's not the women that are be, uh, bearing the branch of uh, climate. We are. Because, what, like I said, when there is no food, it is the woman who have to explain to the crying baby how or, and why there is no food for her. The father won't come and do that explanation. Yes, the father will go and look for money. But if he goes and he doesn't get, get money, he comes back. He just tells the wife. I didn't forget anything. It is is now with the, left with the wife to find means of letting those children eat. If because of climate change, we, we know the situation of maize in this country, climate change, including a fall army worm that came three years ago and, 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 and a whole lot of things. And now we don't have maize. And so if a farmer didn't bring bags of maize home, it means there'll be no food in the house for the woman to cook. And if there's no food for her to cook, what will happen to the children? It's all the direct impact of climate change. Forget about the big English of emissions and all that. But these are the direct, practical climate change issues. And that is why UN itself said it is time we bring in that gender discussion. And that is why they have made it a key. Now, in all the uh, 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 um, policies that people are signing, you have to commit to gender inclusion in your climate change fight because it's only when you do so that you are able to tackle it inclusively without anybody left out because climate change is a fight that we all have to get on board and so if you're going to leave majority of your citizens out of this fight then you won't go somebody will say you're going nowhere mm-hmm. and uh, to end I would just say that it is it is good that this year's uh, uh, international women's is focusing on climate and focusing on gender inclusion.
0: We'll be here, we'll campaign, and we'll go after it. Thank you very much, Zubi, for your time today. It's been a wonderful conversation. So much knowledge, so much information, so much you have shared with us, and a lot of food for thought. It's it's it's. It gives us a great opportunity to rethink many of these issues. And I hope that many people who are listening to this conversation who will join us on Coffee and Stars will enjoy this conversation, will find the role that they play as young women and men in our society in the narratives that we create For young women and our consciousness in making sure that the positive stories of women are reflected in Africa and in our conversations and even in the news media because there is so much that is being done within the African space. Thank you so much, Zubi, for joining us today. I've utterly enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that we can have you again sometime. Take care, everyone, and cheers from us on Coffee and Stars podcast. The